stand for the reading of God's Word. Our passage is Psalm 63. In your pew Bibles, that's page 542. If you look around, there should be a pew Bible that is brown and looks like this right here nearby. So if you hunt around a little bit, you can find one of those and turn to page 542, Psalm 63. We'd like for everybody to be able to see the passage as it's being preached. So you see, this is not something I'm coming up with, but God's Word to us, His people. Page 542, Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in, <laughs> and in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glorify in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And again, as Mike uh, mentioned a little bit earlier, for our young folks, there are little bulletins over here on the table that help you follow along in the service. So, encourage you to get one of those. There's two kinds. There's one for younger uh, children. There's one for, for older. So, feel free to grab one of those and it will help you follow along in the service together. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's Word? Let's pray together. Father, we come and we pause before you now just in recognition of how much we need you of how much we need today to be refreshed and renewed by You. Because the default of our hearts is just to drift from You. It'll happen again tomorrow morning. It'll happen again throughout the week. There will be so many things that we encounter in our life that will entice us away from You. And in unbelief, we'll forget about Your love. It happens so quickly. So Lord, we're here again today Because we need you to speak into our lives. We need to hear your truth. We need your love to come and to fill our inner being. So that we would be filled with worship and enjoyment. And satisfied with who you are. So come and be our teacher. Come and refresh and renew the hearts of your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So kids, i got a question for us this morning. Do you guys have a favorite athlete or actor or musician? Which, Keegan, what is it? A.J. Green. I love that. Bulldog. Yes. But that's not the reason. That's not the reason. He's an Alabama fan. So, uh, wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals. H. 
Dak Prescott, okay, all right. Cowboys quarterback. Nick Chubb, whoop, whoop, go dogs right here. Nick Chubb, all right, anybody else? Zeke. The Saints, just the collection. The whole team, yeah. Anybody, uh, Bo? Spider Monkey? Spider-Man, okay, all right. Wow. That's right, good job. You know, for me growing up, it was Herschel Walker. Kind of like the Nick Chubb of my day. But, um, and I'm sure there's probably some, you know, there's probably some young people that aren't into sports. Maybe it's an actor or, or a musician or somebody like that. But so often, we see these people who are able to do these things that are absolutely incredible. An athlete, an artist of some sort, and whenever you watch them do their thing, it just seems so effortless. I mean, it seems like they just show up and it just naturally comes. What you don't see is everything so often in their lives that they put into the work, the time, the, the practice, all of these things that they put into being able to go out and do that thing that you just see, the end product, the finished product there. Uh, I was wondering if somebody was going to say Steph Curry this morning. Does anybody know who Steph Curry is? So Steph Curry is the starting point guard for the Golden State Warriors, just won the NBA title. He's a two-time NBA uh, champion, and he is the point guard of the team. And many people will say that Steph Curry is not only the best shooter in the NBA today, but that possibly he's the best shooter to ever play the game of basketball. And one of the things that you notice as you watch Steph Curry, this amazing basketball player, is literally he can pull up like that and make a shot almost anywhere on the court. And whenever you watch it, it's just amazing. And it's why you see so many Steph Curry jerseys all over the place. But here's what you don't know about Steph Curry, is that he is one of the hardest working athletes in all of sports. You wouldn't think that just seeing it because it just looks so easy. But he, in fact, is one of the hardest workers that there is. He puts more time into practice, more time into shooting. In fact, in the offseason, and this stat kind of stunned me, in the offseason, every single day, Steph Curry makes 500 three-pointers. Not just shoots. He doesn't even count the ones that he misses. Every day, he makes himself make 500 three-pointers. Isn't that staggering? Which helps you to understand a little bit more about how he can be anywhere on the court and just pull up and shoot and make it. Because you see, he's done it so much. He's sought it out. He's poured his life into it. He's focused on it in so many ways. And that is such a fundamental part about how he gets to that place of being able to do that. So we're in a sermon series called Enjoying God where we're looking at the book of Psalms. And throughout this series, we're talking about our relationship with God. The reality of Christianity is that it's not just, as you know, and we talked about this a lot, Christianity is not just something that you do. It's not a lifestyle. It's not rules that you follow. It's actually entering into a personal relationship with the living God. And so what we've been talking about in our series is How do we grow in intimacy with God? How do you grow in nearness with God? How do you grow in your relationship with God? Which is really 
a fundamental question that we all ought to really be asking and studying. And the book of Psalms are perfect for that because literally they are inviting you into another person's relationship with God and they teach us how to relate to God, how to be near to God, how to pray to God, all of these kind of things. So the Psalms are really perfect for this. But here's one of the things that we're going to see in today's Psalm and really going to be our focus for today. And it's the place, the part that we play in our relationship with God. That is the part of our seeking God, the part that that plays in our relationship with God. In other words, you cannot grow in intimacy with God unless you are seeking Him, unless you are putting time into your relationship with God. That's kind of common sense in every other relationship that we know. You cannot develop a relationship without time, lots of time, lots of face-to-face time, cultivating a relationship. The same is true with God. So we're going to look at this reality of what does it mean to seek God daily as a practice, and it's fundamental if you want to grow in your intimacy with the Lord. But here's the reality so often for many of us is that we don't do much seeking of the Lord. In fact, I think in our culture it's even more exaggerated that less and less and less, even followers of Jesus, even people that know Him and have a relationship with Him, that our seeking of the Lord is less and less and less. So often we want to let other people do the seeking for us. You know, just tell me, tell me what I'm to believe, tell me me what I need to know. But yet, we are not putting time into seeking His face, into knowing who He is in prayer and in the Word, in gathering and worship together. So that's what we're going to see today. The reality is we spend a lot of our time seeking all kinds of other things. The problem is not that we don't know how to seek. In fact, the reality is, is that our lives are probably more busy, at least they feel more busy, than they've ever been. And so often as we think about seeking God, it's something that we think, I need to get to that. That's something I need to do, but the reality, if you're anything like me, is those plans to seek Him, to spend time with Him, to carve aside that time to just be with God, tends to just evaporate because so many other things are crowding it out. For me, it's so often this right here. I'll have plans to meet with Him, but first I'll just check this. First I'll just take a look at this. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go meet with Him, but I want to surf a little bit first. You know what happens? I look up and the time is gone. Here's what we're going to see in Psalm 63, that if you want to enjoy God, which is what we're talking about, it means to be intimate with God. It's delighting in Him, enjoying Him, Him being your satisfaction. If you want to find your enjoyment and satisfaction in God, you've got to seek Him. There's just no way around it. You can't just passively grow in your relationship with God. You've got to seek his face. And that's what we see in Psalm 63. So let's jump in together. And one of the things that we notice right off the bat is in the title of this psalm. You know, some of the psalms will have a title that will kind of give you the context, which helps you to understand what, what the psalmist is going through. It's kind of helpful to know what kind of circumstances they're in. And you see in Psalm 63, right up there at the title, it says, a psalm of David, which tells us King David is writing this psalm, but it says when he was in the desert of Judah. Now, in other places in Scripture, you can begin to piece together what exactly was going on in this situation, but essentially, 
He was on the run for his life. King Saul was trying to kill King David because he felt like David was a threat to his throne. And so David is literally all alone, and he's on the run from an army. He's got nobody. He's all alone. He's fled out into the desert, out into the wilderness. You can imagine in the wilderness, there's not a lot of water. Uh, He's all by himself. It's a very dangerous place. So the reality you see is that his circumstances are extremely hard right now. Now, I don't know where you are in your life, what kind of circumstances you're facing in your life, but I know, I know a little bit about things that we're walking through in our life, and many of us find ourselves in very, very difficult circumstances right now. But David is in a really bad way. But here's what's remarkable, is in the midst of those circumstances, David is crying out for God. He's not just seeking God to do something for him. He is that. He is asking God to show up and bring protection into his life. But it's not the focus of the psalm. The focus of the psalm is David saying to God, I want you. I need you. Even more than my circumstances to be fixed, my heart is crying out for you. And the entire psalm is so centered just on God himself. Look again, verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So often our circumstances awaken us to this reality. The, the circumstances that God allows in our life are an opportunity to wake up to the fact that we need not just the fixing of our circumstances, but God himself. And that's the reality for David. In the midst of no water and running for his life, he says, I'm longing for you, the living God. Look what he says in the next verse. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. He remembers back to this time where he was worshiping with God's people in God's presence in the tabernacle. And he says, I beheld your power and your glory. I was enjoying you and praising you. As I was in your midst and seeing the depth of who you are. And then look at verse 3. A huge kind of verse. Just stunning. Just to take. We could have just taken this verse. And just say what what does this mean for our lives? Look at verse 3. Because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. That's just a monster verse right there. David is saying your love Lord. Your love for me, experiencing and receiving your love, is better than life itself. Now, he knows. He knows what he's saying because his life, life itself, is being threatened. He knows that he likely is facing certain death. But yet in this moment, he's saying there's something that is far more satisfying than life, than breath. And to that, we could add all the kind of things that we treasure in our lives. Your love is better than children. Your love is better than a spouse. Your love is better than success. Your love is better than leisure and vacation and escape. Your love is better than all of my hobbies. You see how enormous of a statement that is. You see, it's only when you begin to see 
that God's love, receiving and knowing His love intimately in your heart, is better than anything that this life has to offer. Until you see that, you're always going to be controlled by your circumstances. You're always going to be chasing after things. You're always going to be using God as a means to get something else. So often we want to come to God because we want something that He might give us. And so we devote ourselves to Him in hopes that He will then provide that for us. But David is showing us that's empty. That's empty and it's happened so often in religion that we will do for God in order that He will do for us. And David is inviting us to see here, listen, God Himself is the treasure. And until you begin to know His love and to know that it's better anything that you might fear to lose in this life, until you know that it's better than anything that you chase after in your life, you're going to be ultimately unsatisfied. You're going to be ultimately thirsty down deep in your soul. And then he goes on to say, verse 4, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Again, as we saw last week, when you enjoy something, praise flows. We delight to praise what we enjoy. The living God and His love is David's enjoyment. It's His delight, so it erupts in praise. And then look at what he says in verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. We all long to be satisfied. I mean, really, that's a definition of human behavior. We are all running after what we believe will ultimately satisfy the longings of our soul. And yet David said, to know your love, to receive it, to experience it, to rest in it, it's better than life. And enjoying that in worship is satisfaction for the soul. It's better than a big old steak. It's better than the richest affair. It's the most delightful thing to my soul is to be satisfied with you. So it's the critical starting place, and we, we really saw this a lot last week. The only thing that will ultimately satisfy is God Himself, God alone. But there's something that's critical to see here. You cannot find satisfaction in something that you don't desire. Let me illustrate that for a minute. You cannot find satisfaction in something that you don't desire and want and long for. Think about this for a minute. Everyone in here drinks water, hopefully on a daily basis. And when you're just casually drinking water because you think you need to drink water, how does the water taste? Well, you know, to me it doesn't have a lot of taste. It's just water. You know, it's kind of purposeful. I need to have this. I need to take this in so I don't get thirsty. But it doesn't really have a taste. It doesn't really just excite me to drink water. In fact, whenever we go out to eat, and the waitress always asks our family, what will everybody be having to drink? And whenever Ashley says they'll be having water, there's this, ah, Because they want Coke. They want Sprite because that's far more delightful. But how is it different when you're thirsty? How about whenever you're dehydrated and you haven't had water in a long, long time? How does water taste then when desire has been awakened? It's amazing. It tastes like so rich. It actually has taste. You long for it. The same thing happens if you've ever gone without food. You know, if you're, 
if you're not hungry, food doesn't really have a lot of taste, right? You probably know that. You know, if you're still kind of full or whatever and you try to eat something, uh, you know, sometimes I keep eating anyways, but it doesn't really have a lot of taste to it. But how is it different when you've gone without food? If you fasted or if you're hungry, you've gone, maybe you missed a meal. How does food taste when you're hungry? It's incredible the difference, is it not? When you're, in fact, if, you're, if you've ever dieted, literally all you're thinking about is food. And you taste that forbidden food, and what does it taste? Oh, the flavor is just unrivaled. You see, do you see the relationship between desire and satisfaction? They're inseparable. You cannot find satisfaction and delight in something if you do not first desire it. If you do not first long for it. And so you see, we see that desire everywhere in this psalm. David's desire for God is just leaping off of the page. Look at how he describes it here. Again, like a thirst. Verse 1, my soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. It's like the ultimate picture of desire is thirst. And for him, it's a metaphor. My soul is parched for you, the living God. I'm desiring you. I'm longing for you. He says later, later in, the, uh, in here, he says, um, ver- look at verse 6. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you for, through the watches of the night. A, again, a tremendous picture of desire throughout the night. I'm just thinking about you. I'm longing for you throughout the night. In the watches of the night, I'm longing for you. The psalm is a tremendous picture of desire and longing for God. And so you cannot find satisfaction in Him unless you first have your desires for Him awakened like David does here. In fact, what drives him for this seeking and for this longing for the Lord is those desires that have been awakened, awakened for God Himself. But let's be honest. Our desires for the Lord are seldom like this. In fact, the normal for reality for most of us is to not have much desire at all for the living God. Certainly true for my life. Can you relate to that? Well, you don't feel those longings for Him. Of course, we know all about longings and desires. I mean, we have them for all kinds of different things. We're all chasing after, li- uh, after life and so many created things. Looking for things that will satisfy us. We talked last week, that's like the fundamental condition of broken and fallen humanity. You know, if you're new to Christianity, it, it, you probably think of Christianity as like a list of, of rules and things to do. And as you think about sin, if you've ever heard that word, that concept of sin... Oftentimes we think of sin as basically like the breaking of specific rules or commands. But in the Bible, the the sense of sin is far more different and profound than that. It's not just the breaking of a law. it's, It's the putting of something often good in your life above God. It's searching after ultimate life and fulfillment and satisfaction and happiness in something in place of God. That's what the Bible calls idolatry. Any good thing, as so often as good things, any created thing in your life that becomes an ultimate thing that you chase after for life 
it takes God's place. Anything you look to for identity and for meaning and for ultimate joy and fulfillment, that thing is taking the place of God in your heart because we were created to find all of our life in Him alone. And that is the biblical picture of sin. The breaking of commands is just the surface element of that. The, the commands only reveal that inner reality in the heart. And the reality for our lives is that we are seeking after so many things for life. Body image, how we'll seek after that, fashion, clothes, the opinions of other people, success, our children. So often our children become our functional hope, become what we look to for life and meaning. If we live vicariously through them, if they, if they can turn out this way, if, if they can look all cute and beautiful, well, that's a reflection of me. It's a way of seeking identity in some good created thing, or the ways that we search after fulfillment in, in our hobbies, in vacations, all of these things that we chase after, that's the reality of our lives. Now, here's the thing. We are so stuffed with seeking fulfillment in all of these good things that there's no appetite left for the living God. It's kind of like my mom used to always say, before dinner, I wanted candy before dinner, and she'd say, you'll ruin your dinner. You can't have candy till after dinner. Why is that? Because I would kill my appetite on empty things. I have no appetite left for the real thing. That's the reality of our lives. We are so stuffed and filled with things that ultimately cannot satisfy that there's no capacity for desiring God. C.S. Lewis has got a really profound kind of quote on this where he says this, just consider his words whenever he's talking about the nature of desire and how oftentimes we can think about the Christian life as kind of uh, an effort to suppress desires, but he kind of turns that on his head whenever he says this. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but rather too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. That is a profound insight there. The problem is not that our desires are too great. And listen, whenever I was kind of exploring Christianity and first becoming a Christian, that's what I thought it was all about. I thought the problem was my desires for all of these other things. I thought that I have to suppress those things. I have to kill desire in order to be a good Christian. But as C.S. Lewis points out here is, no, 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 no. No, that's not the problem at all. Our our desires are not too great. They're too small. We are too easily satisfied, just temporarily, of course, by lesser things. Things that cannot ultimately satisfy. We're far too easily pleased. We're content with the mud pie in the slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by a holiday at the sea. That is the basic reality about Christianity, is that God offers to us infinite joy, not in things, not in circumstances, but in Himself. 
And until He becomes your joy, you're never going to find satisfaction. Our desires for God need to be enhanced. In fact, they need to become greater than our desires for other things. All the other things rule over us in our desire for them. As our desire for God grows, all those other desires get ordered. So here's the primary question here. What do I do if I don't desire God? Isn't that a great question? Have you ever thought that to yourself? What do I do if I don't desire God? Maybe you're feeling that exactly this morning. I feel it many times throughout the day. How do you awaken a desire for God? And here's the answer. The answer that we get in Scripture. Seek Him. Seek His face and desire will grow. That's a little bit backwards of what we would naturally think. We would naturally think, hey, you've got to desire Him first, and then you'll seek Him. But the reality is very different than that. Scripture says to us, not first, you need to get a desire for God, and then we'll talk about seeking Him. It just comes to you right where you are, and it says, seek Him. Scripture says this over and over and over. Over and over and over. God says in Jeremiah 29, when you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. Psalm 27 says, My heart says of you, seek his face, your face, O Lord, I will seek. Everywhere in Scripture we see this reality of God calling on us to seek him. He wants to be pursued. He wants to be sought. And whenever you seek him, he begins to reveal his, himself to you. We see it even in the psalm that we're looking at, Psalm 63. It's essentially... David seeking God. Right off the bat, look what he says again, verse 1. O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. That, that's a description of the entire psalm. Earnestly, that's a word we don't use a whole lot anymore. It means with intensity. Oh Lord, I am seeking you with intensity. I'm seeking you the way a thirsty man in the middle of the desert seeks an oasis of water. I'm seeking you the way that a famished and hungry man is seeking a steak. I'm seeking you the way that a child seeks a toy. I'm chasing after you. I'm seeking after you. And as you seek, desire grows. This actually works in all kinds of different areas in our life. This reality of as you pursue something, as you seek it, as you practice it, it shapes your desires. That, that happens in almost every area of our life. Whatever you give yourself to, whatever you fix yourself on, whatever you go after in your life, that thing, those practices, those rituals will begin to shape your desires. I'll give you a few examples. What happens when you take a child to Toys R Us? What begins to happen in their heart? Desires begin to explode, right? I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that. Desires that did not exist before you went into the seeking house of beauty, right? As they're in there, they're wanting it. What happens to you when you surf Pinterest? Do you find desires beginning to be awakened? What, does, what happens in you whenever you begin to take on a routine in your life? Maybe it's working out, maybe it's some self-improvement of some sort. When you make a routine out of something in your life, that thing that you're making a routine becomes more and more and more your desires. If, if, it's, if it's working out, 
you might constantly be desiring your figure to be more shapely. You see, whatever you make a practice in your life, that's what shape your desires. Whatever this gives you access to, and, and this, this is really a game changer in our culture, because used to, if I wanted to seek something, I had to go somewhere to do it. I had to make a real effort to go do it. This brings it all right into the palm of your hand. You see, we've got to begin to recognize how this works in our life. The practices that we seek, the formations and the rituals and the things that we keep giving ourselves to and exposing ourselves to, it's training up our desires. But what we see in Psalm 63 is that as we seek His face, that too begins to shape our desires. It begins to awaken a desire and a hunger for Him. A hunger and a desire you need if you're to find satisfaction in Him. So how do we seek God? How does that work? Well, it's not complicated. God doesn't hide Himself. He doesn't make it... You don't have to know a lot of different things. You don't have to know a lot of information to be able to seek God. You can seek Him right where you are. And He gives us these very ordinary pathways that He gives to us and stresses over and over and over. And He says, whenever you do this, I'm going to meet you in these places. Those places are simple. It's His Word. His Word is one of those pathways where we seek Him. It's prayer. Just being in His presence and talking to Him and listening to Him, that is is a way of seeking Him. It's fellowship, being with other believers, a primary way of seeking God. Just as we gather just in worship. Worship is a tremendous way to seek God. And if you don't think that shapes your desires, what happens whenever you miss church for a month straight? Do you fire your desires and longings for God's beginning to increase or beginning to decrease? Our practices create and shape our desires. Seeking God is the way to desire God. And it's not just doing those things as a duty, but it's rather seeking to see and behold Jesus in the midst of those things. Let me close with just a picture of Jesus. And the words of Jesus. And how he invites him to himself. There's a place in the book of John. In John chapter 7. Where Jesus is at a big feast. It's the feast of booths. And this was a major feast of Israel. And it was right in the middle of the feast. Was marked by water drawing ceremony. It was where they were remembering. Their wandering in the wilderness. In the Old Testament. As they had been rescued out of Egypt. And they were wandering through the wilderness. And they were in the desert. Much like David here. And they were thirsty and they didn't have any water. And God provided water for them and he satisfied them with himself. And so this ceremony, it's in the middle of the ceremony and all of Israel's gathered at this feast. And Jesus stands up and interrupts everybody in the middle of it. You know, it's one of those moments where, you know, you're not supposed to have any distractions or nothing out of the ordinary is supposed to happen. And Jesus stands up and he says this, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. For whoever whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from within him. He was saying so much in that moment. He was saying, for one, the very thing that you're doing right here, and the entire story of God providing water and satisfaction for his people, it's all about me. What you're doing right now is pointing to me. 
am the living water. And I know something about you, all of you. You're thirsty. You're deeply thirsty. Not just physical thirst, but you're thirsty for life. Because I see all of the things that you're running after. It's how He made us. He made us to be thirsty. He made us to be a people with deep, passionate desires. But they can only be fulfilled in Him. And He invites them. And He invites us. Come to me and drink. When you drink deeply of Jesus, when you see His beauty and enjoy fellowship with Him and receive His love and His grace, you're satisfied. And not only are you satisfied, you actually become a source of life for others. Streams of living water will flow from within you and into the lives of other people. And Jesus wasn't just saying that, do that once. He wasn't just saying, hey, you need to come to me once and get your ticket to heaven and then you're good. No, the verb that he uses there is a continual action. Come to me and drink and then go right on just coming on and drinking again and again and again. Daily drink of me. When You experience his love and his grace continually. You're satisfied. In fact, it's the only thing that will satisfy the deepest desires of our soul. Let me stop right there for a minute and give us a second to just hear from each other and interact over that. How does that strike you? How does it strike you about about this whole idea of desire and satisfaction? Maybe about the things that all the things that we desire that kind of crowd out our capacity for him? How does it strike you to consider what we've seen in the passage? Let's hear from each other. Roxanne. <laughs> One of the things that is very hard for me is self-control. So, um, when I'm lying in my bed at night and I can't sleep, or I choose not to sleep, um, I think it's Michael, would you cut that off? I'm sorry, Roxanne. Okay. Just so we can hear better. Okay. I think it's interesting to note that um, the Bible says, um, we'll seek ye first, but um, if I take action and one, remember my blessings, that takes an active choice on my part to think on that, to kind of like, oh, gosh, I'm sleepy. Oh, gosh, what if I don't go to sleep? What if I stay, stay away forever? And then it's really bad. Then I have to take action and count my blessings and also in the scripture it says remember his past blessings so that works for me remembering is an intentional well first it's a command but to remember something takes an intentional act of the will i think so often we're just so passive about our relationship with god just think it's just kind of automatic It, it this is not saying that our relationship with God is up to us. Now, some of us can go there, you know, whenever we have very tender consciences and we're like, oh my gosh, you're telling me it's all up to me now. No. Growth is grace. God is the one who ultimately woos us to himself and changes our desires, but he does it as we seek him. It's like a real relationship. You know, every relationship has two, two ways. Now, with him, his grace overrides all of our mess. But at the same time, inside of his grace, he says, I want you to seek me. 
We get that often. So, sometimes, this was a good reminder for me because I get to where I'm in a dry place and I, I find myself finding, trying to find joy in other things than, than in him. And I look back at the week and I'm like, what? Where have I been this week? Yes. That's what I was I was writing that down. I was like, where have I been this week and everything? And yeah. it's just a good reminder for me to that I can only find joy in him. And then once I find joy in him, I find that satisfaction. Not only yes. in, in him, but all in all his creation. I understand my humanity, you know, even more and I, then I desire my wife more and my, my kids and, yeah. and all those things. You yeah. know? But it, sometimes it's like you're you're hard, you're like it's hard to get out of it. You're like, how do I get out of this? You know, yeah, 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 I know I'm supposed to praise you, Lord, but how do I get out of this? Yes, you know? and, right. And even or you know or even, did I do something wrong to get myself into this? You know, We're all going to go through dry seasons. These seasons where God feels distant. I mean, it, you, it can be because of something you've done. <laughs> that That is a reality that does happen, but not always. Sometimes God will pull back on his presence to increase this sense of longing. That's what he's done here. In David's life. But we're all going to go through dry seasons where God feels distant. And the question is, what do we do in those seasons? And the biggest temptation is to run to other things for comfort in those times. Whenever those are the very times that God is saying, seek me. Yeah, sometimes I think that, um, like, seeking other things, like, I'm scared that I'm going to like them too much, or that's, like, a future fear, or in the past, a lot of shame of, like, oh, man, I've, like, really committed to that idol, Um, and I think recently, the Lord has kind of been showing me that, yes, idols are, like, offensive to him, but also, um, instead of feeling shame, I can see kind of more of my growing capacity to worship. Um, and so it's not just like, ah, stop doing that, but like, look, look how good you are at worshiping, now worship me. Um, and I think that's been really cool to see that capacity in me grow and like, yes, it, yeah, the fear of like, I just need to bridle it all and just like, God, but instead of like, no, there is freedom in desiring, but just like, keep, keep turning to me and like repetitive, not just like one and done. Yeah. That's a great example of how grace really frees us to seek him because just how you described it you know whenever we blow it or we become aware of our seeking after other things or whatever my natural tendency is to be like I I can't go to him right now I got to get cleaned up I got to show him I'm serious this time and so so I, I delay in coming to him whenever as we understand grace The reality of grace is that we don't come to him, we're not accepted by him on the basis of anything in us, even our sincerity. We come to him entirely on the basis of the righteousness of an entirely different person, which is Jesus. So if you're, the more you understand grace, the more you realize I can come to him right now no matter where I'm at. I mean, if I've kind of wandered off and hardened my heart for a week to him, I can come right now. To him, I can seek him now, or if it's been a year or five years, that grace allows you, no matter where you are, to seek him right there, and he reveals himself and draws draws you to himself, no matter where you are. And that's 
grace, the more we understand the grace, the more that it draws us in to seeking him. And I think that's what's really hard for me is that just seeing more and more how I don't really understand grace um, and how it's like, well, there has to be something that I can do to be to increase my desire for God's because I always feel like I'm in this like well, I'm longing to long for him more yeah and I'll be like oh well I'm praying about it but kind of I'm just kind of like hoping that it'll happen because I'm so extreme it's either like I'm gonna be very rote in reading the Bible and doing these things and like okay boom 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 where are you at or I'm just gonna be like come to me <laughs> and it's like he can but also it's like I'm not actively seeking him and so I feel like this I think very real tension of like doing something but also like trusting that it's actually the Lord that's doing something and and I also am so quick to believe the lies that if I do the rote thing then that's garbage yeah which right. is not true because right, yeah. I I've done it before and, and the Lord has clearly shoot, shown up shoot three pointers every day yeah. You know, and I, feel I like just shoot the three pointers. You're going to go through slumps. Yeah. Just keep shooting the threes. And you're going to grow. But I, I totally relate to what you're saying. And, and, you know, it's very easy to be seeking the experience of God rather than God himself. You know, there's so many, there's so many ways to, to miss just him, just his face. And I, I find that a lot. That I'm just, I, I'm wanting the feeling of him. That sometimes is present and sometimes is not. And again, the Psalms, you might be thinking, well, gosh, how do I figure all of that out? Well, that's what the Psalms do. Because they help us to see all of the realities of a real relationship with God. That sometimes it's dry, sometimes it's distant, sometimes you feel like he's forgotten about you. Sometimes you're like right there. All of those things, the Psalms. Reading the Psalms, here's a plug for encouraging you to daily read the Psalms. It just helps you to form and develop that relationship with them. So I was wondering if you could connect um, like emotions and desires to like knowledge and what we read in the Bible. Like how, to, how do we use both of those different things to build one another up? Um, or to, you know, how do we yeah. use? They're interrelated. You know, a lot of times we want to pit them against each other, you know, and denominations will do this a lot. You know, one denomination is like, we're not into all the feelings. We're into the knowledge. And another denomination might be like, no, no, we're, we're into the just serving and doing and mission. We're not into the, you know, to the, the doctrine. Or you have others that are like, you know, uh, you know, all, all over the place. And we want to pit those against each other whenever we're not just thinking things. We're not just feeling beings. We're not just doing beings. We're all of those, the whole person. And so they're all interrelated. You know, as I grow in my understanding of theology and of God's word and who he is, it affects my emotions for him. And as I serve him, all of a sudden I grow in my understanding of him and I grow in my my desire and my emotions for him. And, you know, so they're all interrelated. You don't say, first you've got to understand and then you're going to feel, or first you've got to do and then feelings will follow. Well, yeah, it can work that way, but it works all of those ways. And so there's not any one that's more important than the other. 
Because what it means to be a human being is I have a mind and I have a heart, the seat of my emotions, and I have a will that chooses and does things. And so it's the whole person that's seeking God. So you don't want to neglect one or the other. So it's not like you're so much focused on this emotion and this desire building. It's uh, and just like put doing things and learning to the side. It's like you use doing things and learning to build the emotions. Yeah. And you use learning and emotions to build the doing. That's it. And so on. All interrelated. Yep. So, you know, we in our own denomination, we kind of elevate thinking and doctrine over everything else. And, you know, we get called the frozen chosen because we don't do anything, we don't feel anything. We ought to seek to be experiencing God's presence. That's an important, I'd just love to emphasize that for this summer series. We ought to be seeking an experience of the presence of the living God. We should do that. That's, that's a good thing to do. So, so like, I like what you said earlier about it's not the, we're always seeking that emotion, but it could, also, could it also be where we're feeling something that we may not feel it's from God, but it really is from God, that emotion of, that emotion of longing, how he, he's given us that, even though it may not seem like it's from him, but it is from him to create that in us. Yeah, I mean, it's like any other relationship. You know, think about it as like a marriage. When you're, when you're married to a person, that's very much a relationship. Sometimes you are going to feel things, and sometimes you are not. But you're still married either way. Now, if you just went around the whole time and be like, we have to constantly be feeling like these incredible euphoric feelings for one another. Well, that's just not real life. It's not a real relationship. But on the other hand... You want a marriage that does have a lot of affection. It does have a lot of emotion. And so you've got to do things in order to experience that. But, you know, you don't want to associate God's presence with emotion only. You also don't want to say they're totally disconnected. You don't want to do either. You don't want to be imbalanced on those. We better call up the worship team before we all melt here. But let's... Again, let's keep talking about this. I mean, this is like the business of like seeking him is having this kind of conversation that you can have not just in the service, but after it. And talk with one another. Tell, tell me about your struggles in seeking God or experiencing his nearness. So let me close this in prayer. Lord God, we, we just need you. We need your face to shine upon us, to know your smile and your affection, to know the love of the Lord, the steadfast love of the Lord that is better than life. That's what we need. Would you reveal that to us? Would you give us your spirit to open our eyes, to give us your spirit to help us to seek you and, and to deny ourselves all of these other desires that crowd it out? Lord, let us be a people that is seeking your face in order that we would know the steadfast love of the Lord that is better than life and so that our lives would be filled with worship and praise of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.